I, uh, I love what David said. Um, we have to know the Bible. We have to preach from it. And uh, my job as a preacher is not to inform you. My job as a preacher is not to give you my opinion. Or is it to try to convince you to believe the things that I believe? Um, my job is to, as a preacher, uh, dig into the Word and try to preach it faithfully and as much as I can for me to get out of the way. Uh, you guys don't need to hear my dumb opinions. You don't need to listen to what I think about culture or society. Um, that's not what the pulpit is for. We're here to listen to the Word of God. And uh, I, I hope that we come with that attitude. Um, Mar- the, the song that Marsh led, Be Thou My Vision, it has this uh, one phrase that... I don't know if you guys like actually pay, pay attention to the words that we sing... Um, but one of the lines is, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. And that's a prayer to God saying, God, I want you to be the one that I look at. I want you, Jesus, I want you to be the one that my attention and focus is directed toward. Whatever happens, whatever has happened in during the week, whatever is happening in me right now, whatever uh, turmoil or distress or whatever um, I need to see that. I need to see Jesus. And that's my hope today is that we will see Jesus in the text. And let's look at the text right now. This is in your bulletin if you're online. It should show up on your screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of God. Uh, A while ago, more than a decade ago, a movie came out, and it stars um, Paul Rudd and Steve Carell and the premise of the movie is that Paul Rudd plays a character who is a mid-level executive at a company, and he gets promoted. And uh, he's really excited about getting this promotion. This is something that he's been working for for a long time. And um, so he, he meets with, with the upper management, the executives, and um, they congratulate him. But they say, there's one thing that you need to do before you're actually promoted. Uh, once a month, we have a dinner, and we invite dinner guests. But the difference between this type of dinner and the typical business dinner is that everyone that comes has to bring someone, bring a guest. But it has to be the weirdest, most awkward guest that you can find. It has to be a buffoon that you bring. And the movie takes us through the, the thought process of... Paul Rudd's character, because he finds someone actually, he, he runs into someone who is really strange, someone who um, collects dead mice and he stuffs them and he creates dioramas, he's very socially awkward, he might be somewhere on the spectrum, and um, he's trying to figure out uh, what, how, what, how should I 
should I bring this person? Because it seems so cruel, it seems so mean that uh, we're finding these people, we're not telling them that the premise of this dinner is that we just want to laugh at you. We want to make fun of you because you're so strange, you're so weird. And uh, one, in one of the major scenes of the movie, the executives bring their guests and they're strange, they're weird. They, uh, they think that they can read minds. They start yelling at each other. They start fighting with each other. And the executives are laughing at all these guests. And the name of the movie is Dinner for Schmucks. Dinner for Schmucks. Because it tells us, here is a dinner for all the strange people, all the awkward people, all the people that the world would laugh at. Dinner for Schmucks. Now, I wonder if we can look at Indelible Grace Church. And could we ever say, here is a church for schmucks? Is Indelible Grace Church a place for schmucks? And I want us to think about that as we go through the passage today. We're going through 1 Corinthians. And whenever we look at the biblical text, it's important for us to remember that no passage of Scripture stands alone. Every passage of Scripture needs to be taken in context. This is the most important principle for interpreting Scripture. We ask ourselves, what is this passage saying in the context of the rest of the book? If we look at what the text is saying, if we look at it holistically, if we're trying to be faithful to what the authors are trying to communicate, we're less likely to inject our own prejudices and interpretations in the text. And this is what I'm trying to do today, is we're looking at verses 26 through 31, and I want us to look at these verses in the context of the rest of chapter 1. So I've given us a summary of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, over the past several weeks. So because we haven't been in this text for a couple weeks now, I think it's been three weeks actually since I've preached in 1 Corinthians, let me give us a Summary, again, to remind us of what's happening. So here is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church, which is made up of all different types of people, people from different cultures and regions and socioeconomic levels and worldviews. They come together in this major trade city, people from all different places. And Paul tells the Corinthian church that here you are, but there is division. You guys don't get along But you must understand that God has called you together as a covenant people, as part of his promise. You are being brought together in God's wisdom and for his good purposes. And Paul tells the Corinthian church, you've been called to be saints together, whether or not you like it. And he goes on, he acknowledges the deep division in the church. And he says, it doesn't need to be that way, does not need to be divided, this type of church. You can be united in the same mind if you understand your life in Christ. If you understand that you belong to Christ and so does your brother and sister, this person belongs to Christ and you can have a common vision, you can have a common goal. Be united in the same mind, Paul tells the Corinthian church. And then Paul continues in chapter 1. He says that what seems like foolishness to the world, weakness and submission and death, this is actually the wisdom of God. And what seems like weakness to the world, this is the gospel message. This is actually the very power of God. And therefore, you are drawn together by this gospel message. The power of God is what brought you together. Not because you like each other. And the last two times we looked at Corinthians, we noted the message of the cross. That the message of the cross, it divides humanity into two categories. 
The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's category one. But to those who are being saved, this is the power of God. This is category two. And Paul says, if you are in Christ, if you follow Christ, then this is the category that you belong to. You are being saved. You have been saved. You are being saved by this foolish message to the world. The Spirit of God is applying the reality of the power of God, which seems like foolishness, which seems like nonsense. This is the power of God in your life. This is what drives you. This is what animates your life. And today, as we look at the last few chapters of chapter 1, last few verses of chapter 1, we look at it in the context of what Paul is trying to say to the Corinthian church. This foolish message... This foolish people that are drawn together by the message of the cross. And what Paul is saying is, the fact that you exist, Corinthian church, that's evidence that the gospel really is the power of God. And for us, Indelible Grace Church, the fact that we exist, evidence that the gospel is true. When the world looks at us, they should see that the gospel is true. And if you belong to Jesus, you are, you individually, you are evidence that the message of the cross really is the power of God. And if IGC is made up of people who belong to Jesus, then this church is a gallery of people that testify that the gospel is true. Indelible Grace Church is an exhibit of God's power because in this place are men and women, boys and girls, and as a Presbyterian, I can say babies as well, who believe the gospel and are letting the truth of the gospel define their lives. So this is what Paul is trying to say. Corinthian Church. The gospel has landed on you despite where you came from. Despite who you are, the gospel has made itself known in your life. So I have three points today in today's passage to help us understand Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 1. Our passage today tells us, number one, who we are not. Number two, who we are. And number three, what do we do as those who are? Who we are not, who we are, and what do we do as those who are? And as we look into it, more than understanding this text, I hope that we can submit to whatever the Spirit is doing as a feeble preacher tries to explain it. May the Word of God change us. So our first point is who we are not. Who we are not. Um, If you've been following the news at all, this past week, um, you know the biggest story uh, in the entire world, which is the funeral of the queen. And um, I read uh, in a couple of articles, um, three, possibly four billion people watch the funeral of the queen. That's um, half the population of the world. This is the most televised event in the history of the world, the funeral of the queen. And if you watched it, you might have um, you may have heard the sermon that was given by um, by the the preacher. His name's Justin Welby, and um, he he spoke of the Queen's faith, and he spoke of um, that beyond her 
life as a queen and be on her service to the United Kingdom. Um, she was a follower of Jesus. And that's pretty impressive. Um, how often is, is, is someone going to be able to s- say the name of Jesus and speak of the faith in, of, in Jesus of a, uh, such a major figure to three or four billion people? I don't know if it's ever going to happen again, but it was historic. The name of Jesus Christ was spoken. The hope of Jesus was spoken. And we might think, all right, so um, all these people, they heard the name of Jesus. Is this going to make a change? And if so, should I put my hope in the fact that maybe one day I can become important, important enough or respectable enough or have a wide enough audience so that I can also have the influence of someone like the queen or maybe some politician or perhaps someone with a stage, maybe a CEO or an executive or a celebrity. And we think, well, maybe if that's how it goes, then I should make myself someone that people will respect. Paul speaks to that type of thinking in our passage. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Consider your calling, sisters. Think deeply upon it. In light of everything that I've said, the foolishness of God and the wisdom of the world and where you fit into that, in light of that, consider who you are. Think deeply upon it. Paul is telling the Corinthians to look back and remember the type of people that they were. Other translations of this passage put it this way. Consider who you were when you were called by God. Consider who you were when you were called by God. And he continues in verse 26. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. This phrase, uh, according to worldly standards, is, in, in Greek, it's kata sarka, meaning according to the flesh. Consider who you were in the context of the world. He says that some of you were laughingstocks. You were buffoons. You were schmucks. Why? Because you were not impressive, because you didn't have a lot of achievements, because you weren't impressive. And Paul says, think, Corinthian church, this is a type of people that you were. Because in the context of the Corinthian, uh, in the city of Corinth, Corinth was a major trade route. This is where people went to make money, to make a name for themselves. Everyone was trying to impress everyone else. Those who exhibited strength and savvy, these were the people that were admired. The orators, the people that spoke well, the wise, the intelligent, these people had followings. These were the people that everyone wanted to be. They had the admiration and respect in Corinth. And this is what mattered to people. When people saw these respectable people that did well for themselves, people said, that's a type of person I want to be. And this is how the members of the Corinthian church thought about themselves. They either were respectable and admired, or they weren't. And he tells them, who were you before you were called by Christ? The Corinthians were so accustomed to thinking just like everyone else. And this is why Paul has to remind them, think back, Corinthians. Think back to who you were. Because there was still a way of thinking in them that was according to the flesh. 
it was still according to worldly standards. Before God rescued them, they had the same values and concerns and priorities as the pagans. He says, consider, recalling, consider who you were. And now, in case you've forgotten, let me tell you who you were. Actually, let me tell you who you were not. You were not wise. You were not powerful. You were not of noble birth. And yet God had called you. God had chose you. God brought you into this place. God called you into this church. God called you into his family. And why would God do such a thing? He's reminding them, you had nothing, and yet God chose you, not despite your shortcomings, not despite your weaknesses, but because of your weaknesses, because you were not impressive, I chose you. I chose you. Indelible Grace Church, who are you not? I know that some of you guys are smart and intelligent and um, savvy and emotionally intelligent and you are admired by people and um, some of you aren't. And uh, I know that I probably belong to the latter category. Um, But what does it matter if the gospel is true? What does it matter? God did not choose me. He did not choose you because you could do something for him. He chose you simply because he wanted to choose you. And isn't that good news? He chose you because of your shortcomings so that your life would be a canvas for him to paint a picture or write a story that tells the world that God is God and God is good and the gospel is true. This church is evidence that the gospel is true. And if it's true, then who is invited into the life of the church? Who are the people that matter in this church? Despite your personality type, despite your preferences, despite whatever background you came from, despite your sins, despite your temptations, gospel says, yeah, you belong. You belong. And what I see in this text is this, that the more out of place a church is in the world, the more strange it looks, Maybe the stronger the testimony of the people are. Maybe the more out of place a church is in the world. The maybe more believable the gospel is. Maybe when people see a church that is full of people who don't have their stuff together, maybe this is testimony to the world that Jesus is Lord. Um, one small example that's, I don't know if you guys think this way, but um, do you ever hear people singing in church and they sing really bad? Um, I love that when people sing bad in church. And I think that God is especially pleased with bad singing. And here's why I think that's true. Because when someone is singing really poorly, and they know it, that's when you know that it's real. It's coming from something deep inside them. Because 
they're not doing it to impress anyone because honestly no one is impressed by the way they sing they're doing it because they're singing the truth and they're singing to God and they say despite how poorly I do this I'm going to do it anyway because God is worth it that's what worship is isn't it worship is giving to God what he's worthy of and you can sing a song poorly and say even if people laugh at me I'm going to sing it anyway because God is worth it God is worth this sacrifice and offering from my bad singing. But it need not be bad singing. It could be other things in our life too. If you don't have much to bring to God and still you come, if you don't fit in with the rest of the crowd and still you come and say, God, I'm coming for you, what does that say about the gospel? What does that say about God's work in your life? Your weakness is all the more occasion for God's strength to be made known in your life. So bad singers welcome. People with lingering sin welcome. People that are not respected by those around them welcome. This is the gospel. And your life, if you live faithfully, is going to matter more than the queen's life. We have a tendency to think that if I have a platform, then um, God's going to use me. And uh, maybe, yeah, he does. Um, I saw in the news last week that Eminem, you know the rapper, um, this is weird. He has the number one song on the Christian charts right now. Did you guys know that? Eminem, this is, um, this is the, uh, bill, if you go to billboard.com, this is the title of the article. Eminem scores number one on Billboard Christian song charts. And the subtitle is this. The song Use This Gospel is featured on DJ Khaled's latest LP, God Did. And we think, wow, Eminem, he's singing about what Jesus has done in his life. I don't know if it's true or not. I hope it is. Um, we think, wow, okay, here is someone the world can look to, and I like it. And God's going to use that. Maybe. I hope he does. No one in this room is going to be as big or famous as Eminem. But your life will count more than his. Take, for example... Um, another rapper, Kanye West. If you remember a few years ago, um, he did this big thing. He put a, an album out called Jesus is King. And um, they played Kanye West on K-Love, which is strange. He did these weekly services called Sunday Service where he had preachers come and preach. And actually, I listened to a few of the preachers and um, they're actually solid gospel sermons. But if you follow the news now, um, what's Kanye up to? Um, doesn't reflect well on the gospel. Doesn't make the church look good. And yet, I believe, maybe God is doing something in his life, but your life matters more than Kanye's life. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say your life matters more than Kanye's life. His life matters a lot. So does yours. But in your community, in your life, in your family you're going to make a much bigger difference than Kanye ever will. 
celebrity Christians can be used, but not as much as we think they will be used. Every time you see a celebrity make a profession of faith in the public eye, you can give thanks, praise God that God has done a work in their life, but don't expect them to enact a change that's going to last. You could come up with a long list of, of celebrities that came out as Christians. Bob Dylan in the 1980s, and then what happened? It's no longer, I don't think. Uh, I could name some actors, some that you'll read about on a daily basis that um, profess faith in Christ, and I don't doubt that their profession is true, but um, that's not the type of thing that changes a culture. The, thing, the type of thing that changes a culture are people who recognize that they are not wise or noble or strong, but they live their life faithfully. They believe the Bible. They love people. They go to church. They serve in the church. These are the people that God is going to use to change things. So who does God use? God uses the nobodies. God says, these are the people that I want to represent me. I want the weak, the unreputable, the ones who we think are not wise or strong or admirable. Paul says, think of who you were not. Our second point, now think of who you were. Now think of who you were. I'm Not who you were, past tense, but who you are now. Think of who we are. Paul continues on. I'm going to jump ahead to verse uh, 30. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. This is who you are, Corinthian church. You're righteous, you're sanctified, you're redeemed. This is who you are now. It doesn't matter whether or not... You're impressive. What matters now is that you have been touched and moved. You've experienced the power of the gospel, and therefore you're righteous and sanctified and redeemed. Why would he do that? Verse 27 and 28. God chose what is foolish. Verse 28. God chose what is low and despised. What's happening here is that God is acting. God chose those in the Corinthian church. And God chose you. This is a song that we sang earlier. My Lord, I did not choose you, for that could never be. My heart would still refuse you if you did not choose me. God chose us. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me read this from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In this passage, Paul is saying, let me read it again. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You've been chosen by God before you did anything good or bad, before you did anything impressive, before you were a loving or lovely person. God chose you. God chose you. Now, because that is true, we are now these things, righteous and sanctified and redeemed. And I don't know if you guys know what it's like to not be chosen. I do. Uh, when I was in grade school and middle school, in high school, in college, in post-college, um, I was always one of the last to be chosen for the sports teams. Um, 
I know what it's like, and um, I know what it's like to be low on the rung of uh, respectability. Um, I know what it's like to be in the corporate. I worked in, in the corporate world for a few years. I know what it's like to be the guy at the bottom. Um, I would step into the elevator and people say, oh, are you going to graduate college soon? Uh, no, I've been here for five years. And uh, that's, that's how I was viewed at my old company. Um, I know what it's like to not be chosen. Um, doesn't work out well in the world, but in the reality of God, it works out really well because God chooses those who do not stand out. Ephesians 1, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And I know that this is, in some corners, a controversial topic. And you can talk to me or the elders about it if you want to argue about it or learn more about it. But this is our hope. Not because you were good, not because you made promises, but because God made a promise to you, his covenant love before the foundation of the world, stretching into eternity, that God will love you forever, that you belong to his family because he chose you. So Paul moves from verse 29 to verse 31. In From verses 29 to 31, he says, This is who you are not, Corinthian church, but now you are this. This is who you are now, and this is how it happens. Verse 30, Christ became wisdom for us. Christ, the fool of God, if we're looking at it from the lens of the world, the fool of God made himself low. He made himself low. He became the wisdom of God for us. Because of him, verse 30, you are in Christ Jesus. And this tells us of our status. Your location is in Christ. Your status is in Christ. It's in Jesus that our life makes sense. It's in Jesus that your life matters It's the heartbeat of Jesus that lays down the rhythm of our lives. The heartbeat of Jesus drives us forward. The love of Jesus is what provides us comfort. The love of Jesus is what compels us to love those around us. Welcome in to Jesus Christ, verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus Because he became to us wisdom from God, Jesus enacted the foolish plan of God to save the world, to save you and me. A little baby born to a peasant couple, born in a manger, because that's all that was available to him, where animals ate from, in a stall that smelled like poop and pee. He was homeless. He had a small band of followers that were not people that other people would have chosen. Sinners and dirty fishermen. People that were, at least one of them was probably on the spectrum. Other people that were full of sin one that would betray him, 
And Jesus called them in. He said, welcome into my community. That's the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God also moved Christ to pay the penalty for our sin. And how did that work? He was stripped naked. This is the God of the universe, by the way. Stripped naked by his creation. Tortured, humiliated, killed. For our sake, this is the wisdom of God. All our sin laid upon him. And who is worthy of that type of sacrifice? Not a single one of us. Not a single one of us. Yet God said, the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus, I'm going to put it on the people that I chose. Those in the Corinthian church. Those at Indelible Grace Church. And as a result, what happens Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We have righteousness. We have the perfection of Jesus. So when you guys look at each other, you might see, here's a person who hurt me. Here's a person that I disagree with. Here is a person that I do not like. Here's a person that I do not want to go to church with. But we should also see that here is a person who's loved and perfect in the eyes of God, righteousness, sanctification, were set apart by God to be like Jesus. You're set apart by God. You don't need to be like the rest of the world. You don't need to be respected. You don't need to make a name for yourself. God has already made a name for you because you're sanctified. And then there is redemption. We've been bought by Jesus We now belong to Jesus. We've been rescued from slavery. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we now serve a good master. You are righteous. You are sanctified. You are redeemed. This is who you are. And the message of the church should always be this, that this is who you are, not because you can try harder, because you can make promises, because you can read these books, but because of Christ, believer, this is who you are. This is who you are. God doesn't need you to be fill in the blank. He doesn't need you to be useful. God doesn't need your strength. In fact, he loves your weakness. He welcomes you in because of Jesus. And this is the heart of Jesus. Let me read from you this um, great passage from Luke chapter 10. Here is the, the background is that Jesus has sent his, um, his followers out and to, to do ministry. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. And um, they're referred to as the 72. This is what Luke writes in chapter 10. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here's what's going on. These 72 followers of Jesus, they went out to the highways and byways, towns, and they did ministry. And they think, wow, this is amazing. We do ministry in Jesus' name, and demons fall when they hear the name Jesus. 
And Jesus says, you know, the ministry that you did was so amazing that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And these followers of Christ, they have authority to tread on serpents. They have the power to trample on the enemy. They're protected. Nothing shall hurt them. This is amazing. And don't we want to be like that? Don't we want to do great ministry at an indelible grace church? I hope you guys do. But that's not really what matters. Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is what should matter to us. Our position in Christ. Your name is written in a book right now. Your name is written in a book in heaven. And that's better than anything that you can do in this world. This is more important than being a good spouse or being a good parent or being a good employee. This is better than whatever stupid house you live in or whatever stupid car you drive or whatever political party that you want to push. Those may be great things, but what did Jesus say? What really matters is that you belong to me. That's the most important thing about you, that you belong to Jesus. Now, if you want to be useful, you can do that. And I hope you want to be because um, we could use a lot of help at Indelible Grace Church. But that should not be your goal. Your goal should not be to be useful. Your goal should be to know your position in Christ. And everything else flows from that. Be faithful in considering who you were. Be faithful in remembering who you are now. So this is what Paul says. This is who you were. This is who you were not. And this is who you are. So what do we do? What do we do as believers in Christ? And what do we do as a church? Paul writes, looking at verses 27 and 28 again. Paul says that the church and the message of the cross shame the wise. The church and the message of the cross shame the strong. What does it mean to shame? To shame means to expose something for what it really is. If we are faithfully looking at the scriptures and faithfully teaching it as a church, if we're faithful in living out what God has called us to, this will expose the nothingness of everything around us, every worldview, every lifestyle, every sexual ethic, every economic system, every personality type and test, those will be exposed for what they really are, which is they may be useful, God will still use them, but ultimately, they're bankrupt. They cannot save us. They will not satisfy your soul. And when we understand who we are in Christ, by living our lives, we will expose the wise. We will expose the world, the strong. Strength really is not that strong. Wisdom it really is not that wise. And then verse 28. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. In the Greek, this phrase communicates something stronger. 
when Paul writes to bring to nothing things that are, he's saying that there is a judgment coming. There is a destruction coming to everything that we've relied on. And this goes back to what Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 19, when he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God is committed again to the destruction of everything that is not the gospel. God is committed to the destruction of everything that we will hang our hats on, everything that we will rely on. God says, once they serve their purpose, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them. And how does he do it? He does it through the message of the cross, which the church preaches and lives. That's what we do. And finally, verse 31. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So this is what we do. We boast in the Lord. David led us through the call to worship passage, um, Jeremiah 9. And this line in 1 Corinthians is taken from Jeremiah 9. What does it mean to boast? To boast means to find your identity in. When people look at you, what do you want them to think about? Do you want them to think that here is a person who's uh, very advanced in their career? Here is a person who's really good at what they do. Here is a person who's really good at being a, uh, a husband or a wife or a parent. Here is someone who's really good at drawing people together. And those are things that are awesome and fantastic, and we've all benefited from those things. But do not let that be your boast. Paul says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What do you want people to think of when they look at you? What do you want people to think of when they look at the church? They should be thinking, Jesus, whatever it is that these people do, there's got to be something to it because it cannot be explained by worldly wisdom. So indelible grace church, let this be true of us. Let it be true that we boast in the Lord, even if we're schmucks. Let it be true. We boast in the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. This is the best thing that we can do, is to know him. Will you pray with me? Father, we um, come before you with much weakness and trembling, with many sins, with many shortcomings and failings. And um, we can be honest about it because we know that you will receive us, not because we're good, but because you chose us before the foundation of of the world. That written into the history of infinity are our names. And what could be more amazing than that? I pray that you would change us and our thinking and our hearts in this church through that truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.